Good morning, everyone. Um, happy Sabbath. It's good to be here. Um, my name is Hannah, and um, Ryan Jinha invited me a while ago to come and share um, a message for you this morning. Um, so yeah, I accepted the invitation, and um, yeah, it's just a good opportunity to share, um, I guess, what God has put in my heart and what... Um, yeah, what we can learn about prayer, which is what I'm going to talk about today. Um, so the title of my sermon is called Lessons in the School of Prayer. And the title comes from a book that was written by a man by the name of A.T. Pearson. And he was a pastor from the late 1800s, actually. But as I was reading his book, I found a lot of really interesting lessons that he was trying to share. Um, so that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. Um, but before we start, let's just have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you that we can come here this morning, that we can worship you, that we can um, just reflect on your words and the prayer that you gave to us as an example of how we can have a powerful prayer life. I just pray that um, each of us may be able to apply it in our lives and just to experience what it is to really know you and to have a meaningful relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I wanted to talk about this man. Oh, it's not on. <laughs> oh, wait, there we go. All right, so... This man, his name is Christian Fuhrer, and he is a pastor from the St. Nikolai Church in Leipzig in Germany. And basically what I wanted to talk about was how he had a lot to do with the fall of the Berlin Wall. And this had to do with some prayer meetings that he was conducting at the time. It was in 1982 where this Lutheran pastor was beginning these prayer meetings in his church, St. Nikolai Church. They would meet on Monday nights and offer peace prayers for East Germany. And at this time, it was under communist regime. Sometimes these prayer meetings were followed by people walking into the streets carrying candles to witness for peace and freedom. These peaceful political protests in Leipzig and other cities became known as the Monday demonstrations. And so as they did this, momentum started to build um, with these prayer meetings. And by the time of summer 1989, um, authorities have kind of got a hint of how um, impactful these prayer meetings were. So they decided to even barricade the streets that were leading to St. Nikolai Church. It gained a lot of attention from the East German authorities and the government at the time even declared for this church to be closed. And at one time on October 7 in 1989, <clears throat> there were hundreds of arrests made in front of this church and police started to use um, force against the demonstrators. So even though they weren't reacting violently, they were trying to use violence against the people who were gathering for these demonstrations. And in the newspaper um, on that day, it said um, that they were to put down with whatever means necessary um, these protests. 
And so there was a lot of tension that was um, occurring here in Leipzig at this time. And two days later, on Monday the 9th of October in 1989, there were 5,000 people who gathered in the St. Nikolai Church, and they were all gathered to pray for peace. And outside, there was about 70,000 people who had gathered in the city, and they were all holding a candle to symbolize nonviolence. And the pastor had an interview with the newspaper at the time. And he said that as this mass of 70,000 people with their candles and flowers moved peacefully toward the city center, I felt immense gratitude because no one shot at them. I also felt that the GDR, which is a German Democratic Republic, that evening was not the same GDR of the previous days. Something huge and completely different happened. And if anything deserves the word miracle at all, it was this, which was a miracle of biblical proportions. We succeeded in bringing about a revolution which achieved Germany's unity, and this time without war or military might. One of the communist officials in Leipzig also commented on the events of that night. We had everything planned. We were ready for anything except candles and prayers. If the people had thrown stones, the police would have attacked. But the tanks had no choice but to just let them go. And they had to withdraw without a single shot being fired. And exactly one month later from that demonstration, the walls of the Berlin Wall came down and the whole communist empire crumbled away. There was no loss of any lives. And if you think about it, it was probably one of the greatest events of the 20th century. And really, at the core of it is an example of the power of prayer. And so there were other, a few other factors that led to the fall of the Berlin Wall as well. But this one was probably very just influential to the lives of the people um, in East Germany. And these Monday demonstrations not only happened in Leipzig, but began to happen around Germany as well at the time. So it really had an impact on the people and how they were going to react to the communist regime. And so it's really an example of how prayer can change things. And Jesus gives us an example of how to pray powerfully, and he wants for us to have a powerful prayer life. So he teaches us how to pray. Have you ever heard the Lord's Prayer before? Yeah? Okay, so that's found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. So if you have your Bibles, let's open to Matthew chapter 6. And here we see that Jesus gives us a model on how to pray. But even before that model, he gives some other instructions of um, how to pray as well. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. So I'll read verse 5 to 8. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have in need of before you ask him. So let's focus on this um, first instruction that's given, which is in verse 6. It's really a lesson of how to pray secretly. Um, So if you look at verse 6, how many times can you count the word you or your? If anyone can count there. How many times have you found it in your Bible? Six times? Yeah? Any other? Five? Six? Okay. All right. So it's quite a few times in just this small verse It's referring to the word you or your. So there's a real emphasis on a personal connection. So Jesus here, he's counseling us to meet with him alone, to meet individually, which really forms a foundation of prayer. And in my Bible, I had it about eight times um, referring to this word. So really, I think the lesson here is telling us to have an individual approach to God and to find a secret place to commune with him in prayer. So if you think about your own prayer life, do you have a place where you meet with Jesus in a closed space that is shut in for privacy and shut out from interruptions? Jesus wants us to find a place where we can shut ourselves in with him. And this is the quote from the book that I've used um, as part of this sermon. And it says, it's about the secret things which must be brought to the light of his presence, exposed, confessed, renounced, corrected before him, that the closet is meant to give facility and freedom for converse with God. So think about that space that you have in your life Is there a space where you can be alone with him, where there's no other distractions and you can be completely open and vulnerable to him in prayer? So that's the first instruction Jesus gives us before he gives us the example of how to pray. The second one is to pray intentionally. And in verse 7, it refers to not praying using vain repetitions. And Jesus is trying to teach us that the power of prayer doesn't depend on how many words we can say. Because he's not ignorant of our needs. He knows exactly what we need. And he's not even incapable of understanding our words. But this warning has a wider application. And it refers also to praying just kind of thoughtless words or having a careless form in our prayer life. If we have just a set form of praying, if we just repeat words thoughtlessly, like, for example, saying the alphabet or a multiplication table, then this is how we can kind of pray using vain repetitions. 
And so back to the book in this quote, it says, it's possible to recite a prayer and yet with so little thought or understanding, appreciation or emotion that it becomes automatic and mechanical. And so I don't know for you, but I know this happens to me when I pray to God. And sometimes if I'm just tired or if I'm just not really engaged with the prayer, I'm just saying the same thing and I'm not really thinking about specifically how to pray or what are some things that can make this really personal. And so the conversation and the prayer becomes a bit meaningless. Um, So I guess we're challenged here to have a meaningful conversation with God every time we pray, not just um, when we feel like it, but every time is a conversation with God. The third lesson um, comes from the example that, of prayer that Jesus gives um, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. So it's really a lesson of how we can pray scriptural, scriptural, uh, scriptural, I can't even say it. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. It's up on the screen. Um, so it says here, in this manner, therefore pray. Um, So let's read the Lord's Prayer, um, verses 9 to 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So here is just a model prayer that Jesus has given us. It's meant to be a pattern. So it's not just something we repeat, but it forms a basis of how we can pray. And the first thing that um, I found out from this book is that each part of the Lord's Prayer is linked to a prayer or a Bible text that is found in the Old Testament. And I found this really interesting because... Um, you can look at each part of the prayer and see how, um, yeah, there was a prayer found in the Old Testament or a text and how Jesus was kind of saying that we should use scripture in our prayers because that's what he did according to this prayer. And so maybe that's a lesson that he's trying to teach us to pray um, and to form our prayers around the word of God. And if we go back to the prayers that happened in the St. Nikolai Church in Leipzig, the reason for their gathering and for this prayer meeting was based on um, the teachings of Jesus from um, his teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapter 5. And here he's talking about he's appealing for nonviolence. And this is what inspired the peaceful protests in Leipzig. And if you think about it, these protests were based on scripture and these prayers as well. And to think that one of the greatest revolutions of the 20th century occurred through prayer that was based on scripture. And for that time in the church and also in the um, demonstrations, there were secret police who came to kind of cause havoc among the people. But the protesters surrounded them and they kept saying, no violence, no violence. 
And this is all comes from um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the fourth lesson we can learn is to pray coherently. If you count all the sentences in the Lord's Prayer, there's only nine sentences. There's 65 words in English. Yet they embrace every department of prayer. And so when it talks about our Father who is in heaven, it's really a prayer of adoration. Praying, um, yeah, adoring God as our Father. Next is a prayer of recognition. Which reminds us of who he is and what he is capable of. So we recognize that it's his kingdom, it's his will to be done, and that he is the one in control of heaven and earth. Next is a prayer for our daily needs. When he talks about giving, um, give us our daily bread, God just provide for our daily needs. The next part is to pray for man's highest good in spiritual things. It's about forgiving our debts and leading us and delivering us. And finally, it's a prayer of attribution. It's another kind of recognition of what belongs to Jesus, his kingdom, his power, his glory. So here, Jesus gives us an example of how to pray coherently and really try to include all these aspects in our prayer. So it can really help to add depth and strength to our prayer life. As we recognize who Jesus is, as we ask him for our temporal and spiritual needs, and remind ourselves of his ability. And as we learn to pray in secret, intentionally, scripturally, and coherently, we can begin to experience a powerful prayer life that Jesus intends for us. So how can we have this powerful prayer life? First of all, we just need to examine ourselves and ask yourself the question, what is your prayer life like? Can you identify with any counsel that Jesus gives on prayer? Or can you see areas in your life that you feel like you're lacking in? Do you find time to pray alone? Can you open your heart to God? Or do we tend to rush through that time? Do we find time to stop and be still? Or is it difficult to be personal with God? And is it difficult to give him all the details? What about the content of our prayers? Are we specific to our daily needs and struggles? Or do we find ourselves repeating the same prayer every day? So I encourage you to just examine that part of your prayer life. And finally, not only just examine, but when we pray, believe that God hears our prayers and that we're talking to the creator of the universe. So I want to encourage you that when you pray, remember that God is listening and that God is hearing everything that we are trying to communicate to him. There's a story of a man by the name of Alexander the Great. He was a mighty conqueror and king. But besides being a great conqueror, he was also a compassionate ruler. And every year, for one day of the year, he called it Compassionate Day. On this special day of the year, 
he would randomly select different people from across his kingdom whom he would allow to come to him and make a special request. And most people asked for the same things. They said, well, you know, I need food. Can you give me some food? Or I need um, clothes or I just need um, some medicine because I'm sick. So they kind of asked for the really basic things. But one year there was one man who asked for more. And this is what this man asked for. He asked for a palace. And not just any palace, but a fully furnished palace. And a large banquet hall to feed all his friends. And to the amazement of each person, the king granted this man's request. And lots of people asked him, why why did you do this? And the king replied, He said, this man is the first man that really made me feel like the king I am. For only I can grant such a request. So we have to remember who the king of the universe is and what his ability is. And recently I've been, yeah, I heard this scripture, which is from Ephesians 3.20. And it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. And I've been thinking about this scripture and wanting to pray about it because I thought, you know, God is able to do something beyond what we can imagine. And it happened this year. um, I've been kind of going through this transition time with My work, um, I'm currently employed as a chaplain and a campus pastor for a school. And I just felt like this season in my life was kind of ending. I'm just kind of wondering what was next. And yeah, in, when was it? June this year, um, I had a chance to go overseas and to travel a bit and also um, attend a youth leader congress in Germany. And throughout this time I was traveling, I was really, like, I was just kind of nonstop. I've never had kind of a long break since I started work, which was three years ago. And this was my first kind of big break that I had. And for me, I found it to be a time where I could just stop. And I could just forget about all the things that were stressing me out and just really focus on God and really try to commune with him and ask him what was the next step. Because I just felt like, Um, This season was closing and I was wondering, what is next um, for me? And so I really felt like God was trying to encourage me to look beyond my current circumstance and to think about, to see, open my eyes to other possibilities. And when I was at this Youth Leader Congress, the preacher kept quoting this text, um, Ephesians 3.20. And he kept saying, expect that God is going to do something beyond what you think or what you can imagine. And I was struggling to really process this because I knew that after this Congress, I was going to come back home and I still wasn't sure where God was leading. But I thought, you know, I should really believe what God is saying through his word. And I started to really pray and ask God, where is it that you want me to go? And what is something that is beyond the dreams that I have and beyond what I can imagine right now, because I can't see beyond my circumstance and I can't see what is kind of in store for me for the future. 
And something that I've had on my heart for a while was to, um, I really wanted to do ministry in Europe. Um, and this, I guess, was in my heart for a long time, um, probably since 2012. Um, so for six years, I've had this desire to want to do ministry in Europe. Um, I never really told anyone, but it's just something that's been um, inside of me. Um, and I just never thought it would be possible. But a few weeks ago, or maybe two months ago, I got in contact with some people that I met from this um, youth leader summit. And there was an opportunity to do a year of mission work in um, in Europe. And so I got in contact and I was inquiring about it. And basically I found out um, that they, yeah, I applied for it as well and they accepted my application. So as of the end of January next year, um, I have this opportunity to go and do ministry um, in Europe. And it's something that if you asked me before I left on this trip, I would never have thought it was possible or I even didn't imagine that this would be a possibility. But God really revealed to me that he is true to his word. And when we just ask him and we dare to ask him for what he can do, he can do things that are beyond what we can imagine. So God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. But sometimes things in our lives prevent him from creating this revolution. Sometimes it's our lack of faith, our lack of desire, our lack of trust in his ability. And I like this quote, which is found in um, the book called The Great Controversy. It says, It's a part of God's plan to grant us, in answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not bestow did we not thus ask. So all we have to do is ask and ask God what he is capable of. He wants to create a revolution in our lives, and that begins with prayer. We can come to his throne of grace with our hearts open and receive all that he intends to give. And whatever it is in your life that needs to be done or whatever needs to be decided, just commit it to prayer. Believe in God and what he is capable of. That's my prayer for each of you this morning. Thank you.